Our scripture reading is from Luke 17, verses 26 through 37. 26 through 37. The text will be 26 through 33. So let's read very attentively as we want to expound most of this section this evening. Luke 17, 26, hear the word of God. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed." In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. May God bless the reading of his sacred word. Dear church family, last Lord's Day, we considered with you Christ's final judgment from a personal perspective. Tonight, we want to look at this from a national perspective. Nationally, the Lord has a great controversy with us. Our sins have reached to the heavens. We are an astonishingly wicked nation. And we peddle our smut, our wickedness around the globe. We, a nation once known for its godliness. And though God promises to preserve His church... A nation can never sin as blatantly, as broadly, as profoundly as our nation is sinning and get away with it lightly. What we have been sowing, we are now reaping. We are reaping it with the kind of leaders that we deserve. And we are reaping it by sinking away into quicksand of unheard of iniquity. We are in the last times. The time when the Son of Man shall return on the clouds to judge the living and the dead. It's an unprecedented time. The judge 
stands at the door. And even what has happened in the, in the first 100 days of our present administration as a nation contains a solemn message. But that message is extended to each one of us for our churches, our families, ourselves as individuals. And that message is found in what I read to you, Luke 17, 26 to 33. I will read again, at this time only verse 30, Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So with God's help, I want to consider this theme with you. The time when the Son of Man is revealed. The time when the Son of Man is revealed. And we'll look at four thoughts. A time of rampant materialism, 26-27. A time of rampant decay, 28-29. A time of final judgment, 30 and 31. And a time of solemn remembrance, 32 and 33. A time of rampant materialism, moral decay, final judgment, and solemn remembrance. In the portion that I read to you, Jesus is telling us exactly how things will be in society, in a nation, when he returns upon the clouds in the last day. And he tells us that it will be just like the times of Noah and of Lot. Of Noah's day, he says in verse 27, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. And of Lot's days, verse 28, they did eat and drink and bought and sold and planted and built it. And you might say, well, what's so unusual about these things? These days, we always eat and drink. We always have gotten married in society and did business. Isn't, isn't that what peoples have always done? Well, yes. And in many ways, Jesus is implying that in the last day when he comes again, people will be doing ordinary things. He will come like a thief in the night in a staggering surprise with the sound of a trump when people are going about their normal daily business. So there's nothing wrong, essentially, is there, with eating and drinking and doing business and people getting married. These things are not sinful in themselves. But you see, the problem with Noah's day and with Lot's day and with our day is that that is all that the people were doing. That's all they lived for. They lived for the things of time and sense. They lived covetous, materialistic lives. And what Jesus is implying is that the crown of creation, you and me, man, we were to live to the glory of God. We were to live God-centered lives through the Messiah. To be purposefully oriented to eternity rather than time. The giver rather than his gifts. And the glory of God rather than our own selfish pleasures. And so we were to live not for the things of time and sense, though we are involved in time and sense. We are to live for the good things of God, for the glory of God. Not a materialistic lifestyle, but a lifestyle of preparation to meet our Savior and our Maker in peace. My dad used to always put it this way in his prayer, Lord, let our lives be nothing but a preparation to meet Thee in righteousness and peace.
But what Jesus is saying is when he comes again, the vast bulk of people will be living just like they did in Noah's day when he destroyed the world and like he did in Lot's day when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. People will be living for the goods of this world, the possessions of this world, the desires of this world. They will be living without God. And that's the tragedy. Even thus, says verse 30, the essence of our text, even thus, like Noah, like Lot's days, when the day of the Son of Man is revealed, it shall be in the same way. Man will be living as if he never fell in Adam, as if he doesn't have to give an account to God, as if he doesn't have a soul destined for eternity. In fact, as if there is no God. It's what we call practical, humanistic, atheistic, secularism. He will live for himself. He will be living materialistically. Now, that's not saying there's not some common grace, good things going on in the world. It's not saying that there's not vast and great advancements throughout world history. There was even a trend of advancement in the time of Noah, wasn't there? To the time of Lot. Noah's days, things were still primitive. They ate and drank and got married. But in the days of Lot, they had developed, Jesus says, to also building and planting and buying and selling at a greater level than in Noah's day. Noah's day, the society was primarily agricultural. By Lot's time, it was also commercial. And you see, the problem is not that kind of development. The problem is that in spite of all man's inventions, advancements, knowledge, he is but a fool, unprepared to meet the coming Savior, Because he doesn't know God. So the prosperity with which God has blessed America means more to America than the killing of nearly a million unborn babies in the wombs of their mothers every single year. You see, we have grown hardened desensitized to sin. We've grown so used to these large numbers of murders in our land that we don't give it a second thought. We have the blood of countless millions on our hands. And we shrug it off. And we say materialistic prosperity means more to us than biblical morality. Our physical health means more to us than our spiritual health. We turn the cheek the other way. And we say, am I my brother's keeper? Like Cain. We show our greediness for wealth and we call it prudence. We feed our own quest for pleasure and for status symbols and for gratification and for worldly lust. We indulge in a variety of sins under the label of covetousness. And we embrace them as if they are no sins. Our pride, our self-emulation are promoted as virtues rather than vices. And we're quick to be attracted to things that money can buy. Surely, surely, The Lord has every right to say to America today, as he did in Malachi 3.9, Ye are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. We have made our own gods. Not gods of wood or stone, but gods of our materialism. And for 40 to 50 years now, we've been living in what scholars call post-Christian America. We live in an amoral America. An America that no longer embraces a standard for moral living. An America that more and more tramples underfoot even the basic Ten Commandments. 
What a tragedy this is. We've lost the biblical authority of absolutes, the biblical authority of rights and wrongs. We're living in a day, the day of the judges, when every man does that which is right in his own eyes. There are no more biblical mandates for the masses. And you see, the church, the church never escapes completely the culture and philosophy of the world. We too participate in the thinking of the world. We're children of our time and of our age. We too are prone to eat and drink and buy and sell and plant and build without God. Jesus isn't talking only here about the world of unbelievers. He's also talking about too many of his own children embracing too much of this world and backsliding. It's one of the most frightening things, what's going on in the church today. I, in fact, I was just, just got back today from Alabama, preaching at a conference of conservatives in a, in a large denomination of North America who are wrestling with what to do with the future of their denomination because most of the ministers in that denomination have embraced some of the philosophy, even some of the gross wickedness that the world has been espousing in recent years. Even so, says Jesus, shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's a problem. That's a major problem. Rampant materialism. Rampant secularism. But Jesus goes on to say that this Noah-like day and Lot-like day will continue in a kind of rampant decay. Notice that in verses 28 and 29. He says, The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And again with Noah, And the flood came, and he went to the ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. Even so it shall be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The human race in Sodom and Gomorrah and the human race in the world in which Noah lived so decayed that God's patience came to an end. And God compares here the last days of this world when he will come again to these same days. And when you look at Noah's day and the forgetting of God, and you look at Lot's day and the gross sins that God calls an abomination of sexual perversion that abounded in Sodom and Gomorrah, those days are upon us again. And with a force and an intensity and a rigor that even ten years ago would have astonished all of us. The human race had degenerated so far in Noah's day and in Lot's day and has in our day that miserable, sinful forms of physical intimacy were engaged in without question. Marriage had to make way for the shameful lusts of the flesh. Even thus shall it be in the days when the Son of Man comes again. And whenever you see a society decaying and self-destructing, a dying civilization, you will almost always see that that civilization is obsessed with immoral physical intimacy. And the physical dimension of life, when that seeps out of the pores of our national life in wicked ways, it's like the drip, dripping of a broken sewer system. 
Without the Bible as the foundation, even the courts of our land claim they cannot find a common definition as to what pornography and obscenity and homosexuality and all the forms of sexual isms really are. Someone has put it this way, if we cannot agree on the length of a foot, it's because we've lost our yardstick. You see, we've lost the moral yardstick of the Holy Scriptures. We've lost our fabric, our backbone of our society, the decency of living by the Ten Commandments, the inward impulse of our conscience. We've desensitized it with our wickedness and our sexuality. We've abandoned the Word of God, and thereby we've abandoned God Himself. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And tragically, sadly, this is being accelerated also from the top down in recent months, in the first hundred days, in fact, of the present administration of the government, the federal government of this land. What a tragedy these hundred days have been. And if you're following the news at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about political things. I'm talking about immorality. This pulpit is not given to political statements. But it is given to admonishing a nation and a people about immorality. Now I just want to mention tonight three, I want to develop three areas of immorality that are going down into the quicksand in these last 100 days by federal executive orders in a tragically fast way. The first is this. We are engaging. We are engaging in these last 100 days in a full-scale assault against God's created order. A full-scale assault against God's created order. By so blatantly endorsing not only, which is bad enough, but promoting transgenderism, our several, our civil rulers are engaging in a futile attempt to throw off the two genders that God has created. By pretending that a man can become a woman, a wife, and even a mother of all obscene things. Language itself strains itself to the breaking point as they ignore what biology itself teaches them. But today we are opening the door for vulnerable children and teens to be physically harmed and mutilated simply because they feel confused about their sexual identity. And in addition... Mr. Biden issued an executive order reversing Trump's ban on transgenders in the military and issued another executive order, as you know, that mandates a full review of the U.S. Department of Education to ensure compliance with LGBT agenda items. And that monstrosity has been labeled also as part of the Equality Act, which is a top priority for our present government, our present administration, rather. A bill that would force health care providers, some of them Christians, to supply hormone therapies, even surgeries, in accordance with so-called sex change procedures. Biological males would then have access to locker rooms, restrooms, shower facilities reserved for females. They would be exposing young women to predatory and perverse men. And all religious hospitals and foster care programs that receive any federal funding would be forced to perform abortions, place children with homosexuals, or be shut down. Religious, biblically moral rights would be summarily trumped by so-called LGBT rights. 
And combined with this, the present administration has also attacked the family as a God-ordained structure of father, mother, and children, so striking at the very foundation of the common order of society itself, contrary to Romans 1. And so now homosexuality, which God calls an abomination, is celebrated. And instead of treating it as a natural perversion that brings sorrow and shame and destructive consequences, our government insists not only in polluting our nation with these evils, but also in punishing any nation around the globe that does not embrace what God calls abomination. And so instead of defending the liberty of all people to worship God according to their consciences in this nation and around the world, it pursues legal and judicial means of persecuting its own citizens simply because we act according to our conscience with regard to God's clear directions about human sexuality in His Holy Word. That's just one area. Our present administration is engaging in a full-scale assault against God's created order. A second area, as far as abortion is concerned, this presidential administration of the federal government is grossly derelict in its sacred stewardship as a servant of God for public good. Instead of defending the vulnerable in the womb, it leads away for the slaughter of the innocents as hundreds of thousands of children continue to suffer the atrocity of being murdered in the womb of their own mother. In March, six weeks ago, Mr. Biden signed into law the largest expansion of taxpayer-funded abortion since Obamacare. And unlike prior COVID-19 relief bills, the so-called American Rescue Plan broke with more than four decades of bipartisan consensus by failing to include the Hyde Amendment protections. Biden also issued an executive order reversing his predecessor's ban on U.S. taxpayer money funding abortion abroad. Did it on the first day of office. The Biden administration also sent a letter to U.N. ambassadors, announcing U.S. withdrawal from a historic pro-life declaration, the Geneva Consensus Declaration, initiated by the former administration and co-sponsored by countries representing regions all over the world. And then, too, our new administration's allies in Congress have refused to bring the pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act the pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act, up for a vote in either chamber. After Mr. Biden famously dodged questions on this popular legislation throughout his campaign. And so now the United States is only one of seven countries in the world, including China and North Korea, to allow abortion on demand beyond five months. A point by which scientific research shows babies definitely feel pain. And on top of all that, Mr. Biden announced a commission stacked with pro-abortion ideologues to study the idea of altering the Supreme Court. And days later, Democrats in Congress introduced legislation in both chambers to expand the size of the Supreme Court from 9 to 13 it doesn't take much wisdom to see that abortion is at the center. The murder of our babies is at the center of these efforts. This is abomination in the sight of God. This is moral decay run amok. And finally, thirdly, rather than wisely using the funds it gathers from our taxes for justice and public good, the present administration is now proposing to spend another six, not million, not billion, but trillion dollars in irresponsible spending 
to lead our nation into a deepening pit of debt and immoral financial bondage, abandoning all semblance of fiscal responsibility. And so instead of honoring the God-given responsibilities of parents to raise their children and see to their education, it seeks to bring all children and young people from preschool to early adulthood under government control. So that more and more and more people depend on the government for their livelihood. Biden has proposed the American Families Act so-called American Families Act, which would, among other things, include universal public preschool for three- and four-year-olds, further incentivizing mothers to turn their children over to the indoctrination of the government at a younger age than ever in order to return full-time to the workforce. And the plan also includes, by the way, two years of free public community college, further incentivizing that same extension of indoctrination beyond high school into the college and university years. This is serious stuff. This is godless stuff. This is akin to the times of Noah and Lot. But we're not just pointing a finger at this new administration and its hundred days of legislating so much immorality. And I only talked about three areas. I didn't talk about anything political. Just three areas of immorality. But when we point a finger, you've got to remember we're pointing three fingers back at ourselves. Because guess what? We're the nation that has promoted these kinds of leaders. A nation usually gets the kind of leaders it asks for. The kind of leaders it will tolerate. And we are all guilty for tolerating such evils in our land while praying so little against them. This whole church ought to be in one unending prayer meeting, as it were. From day to day to day for this needy, needy, sinful, grievously sinful nation. And the end result is that, dear parents, we're living in a grave time, and we have, we have every right to tremble for our children. When you let your children go beyond your doorstep, they are going into enemy territory. As one of my children said to me not too long ago, the America that you talked to about, to about us when we were young, that America is no more. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Today, our society is filled, filled in the whole fabric of our national life with amoralistic teaching at every level. Our colleges, our universities are poisoned with it. Just poisoned with it. There's a tremendous need today for a sound, reformed, experiential, biblical, practical college where young people can go and hear every professor speaking Bible-based truth. Actually, we've, we've started a committee some months ago that we're hoping to bring to NAPARC a plan for such a college. It's very small to begin with. Baby steps. It will take a long time, no doubt. But to go to NAPARC, North American Presbyterian Reformed Churches, who at least have a conservative element to their teaching and an embrace of the Reformed Confessions, and asking them, come fall, do you see the need as well? And this committee is going to present the dire need to NAPARC. We start a college, a university. It's a small speck in a large nation. But we've got to begin somewhere. We've got to do something. Young person after young person, thousands, millions, are going into our educational college university systems and coming out godless. This moral decay teaches us that Christ is on the way, but it doesn't absolve us of our responsibility. And so in every area and in every commandment, 
We are making ourselves ripe as a nation for radical destruction. And Satan, Satan wants us. He wants our children especially. He wants our young people. He wants the future of this land. And the only way that can be reversed is if the Holy Spirit comes and does a mighty work and we storm the mercy seat for that and family-oriented, biblically grounded, Christ-centered instruction replaces the wickedness of this world through family worship, through private devotion, through conscientious catechizing, through faithful preaching. Otherwise, materialism, secularism, humanism, sexualism, they're all going to merge together and just take the whole nation and cast it into the pit sand and quicksand of self-destruction. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. But then Jesus goes on to say, and that's our third thought, that final judgment is coming. The end times are before us. He's coming in a time when no one expects Him. When all this working and building and planting and marrying and eating and drinking and sinning is going on. He will come. And He will come exactly as we preached to you last Sunday evening. He'll come in the clouds in the glory of the Father and His own glory and the glory of the angels. He'll come. He'll come for you and for me as well. And to reject Him here in this life is the greatest abomination in His sight of all. Because to reject the Son of God given for the salvation of sinners in God's mind unbelief there is no greater sin no greater sin our forefathers were all united in telling us that to reject the son of god is to reject god himself and they were only telling us what john told us in the first epistle of john and this is what jesus clearly implies also at the end of this chapter at the end of this chapter he says The disciples came to him and said, Where, Lord? Where is all this going to happen? Where shall this judgment take place? And no doubt they were expecting Jesus to say, Well, somewhere far away. Somewhere outside of Israel. Perhaps there where the Canaanites dwelt. Or the cursed people or other places throughout the world that were steeped in heathendom lived. But Jesus' answer is this, wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. What a strange answer. What in the world does that mean? Well, in Bible lands, the eagles were mostly birds of prey which fed on dead carcasses. And Jesus is saying, wherever there were dead bodies, there the eagles came. So he's saying, when I come again, wherever there are spiritually dead souls... Wherever there are dead bones that have never been breathed upon by the Spirit of Sovereign Grace and be given life, in other words, wherever there is death in the pot, there are the eagles. There is the wrath of God poured out upon the unbelievers and the rejecters of my Son. There will be everlasting hell and there will be everlasting destruction. There where there are dead souls, Christ will come. With his judgment, no matter what land, no matter what church, no matter what people. My friend, if you're not born again, the torment of God's wrath will be like an eagle eating away, like an eagle feasting, like a tormenting worm that dies not in hell forever and forever. It is a final judgment. You've got to be saved. You've got to be turned around. You've got to be living Godward and not with your back to Him. You've got to bend the knee before the King of Kings if you're going to escape this dreadful judgment on the great day. God calls you and me as we contemplate this final judgment to solemn remembrance. That's my fourth and last thought. To solemn remembrance. He says in verse 32, Remember Lot's wife. 
You see, this isn't just about a nation. Individuals make up a nation. We are all individuals. And Jesus takes us from the national plane, Noah's generation, and Lot's generation, to one individual, Lot's wife. Remember, Lot's wife. An inevitable judgment is coming. It's not coming just to nations. It's coming to every individual. Remember, please remember, Jesus is saying, Lot's wife. And what was the problem with Lot's wife? Well, the world remained in her heart, and thus her heart remained in the world. So she couldn't help but look back. Her looking back is not just, oh, she had a glance and therefore God killed her. Like the world would be prone to interpret this event. Her looking back is a reflection of her heart. She hankered after Sodom and Gomorrah. She retained a love for the world in her soul. She loved the things of time and sense more than God. And so the question tonight, a national prayer day, is not just how is our nation doing. We're not only to take national spiritual inventory of how we're presently doing, as we talked about a little bit tonight in three areas, but how are you doing? As an individual, if God were to come for you tonight, if it wasn't Mary Carlson's name announced tonight, but your name, would it be well with you? Or would this be your reality? Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Even as you sit here tonight, or as you're listening live stream, Where's your heart? Is your heart in the world? Who has your heart? Jesus? Or do you just wear a cloak of religion? But your heart isn't here. Are you void within of all godliness? Lot's wife is a warning beacon to us, a pillar of salt, warning that we must not be dead souls, but living souls in this world to sanctify and to give, like Caleb, a good report of God in the midst of a dark and perverse generation and to follow Him fully. You and I have had more warnings and more invitations And more opportunities. Even our boys and girls have. And those who have lived much longer have had many, many more than Lot's wife ever had. But God destroyed her for keeping her heart in this world. What will he do to us if we wed ourselves to this world? Will you live only for yourself, for things and stuff, and for temporary wicked pleasures, or temporary decent pleasures? Or will you be part of the solution that this nation needs? Will you become a prayer warrior on behalf of this land? Will you grieve for the dishonor that is done to God's name? by the sins of this nation and your own sins, a nation founded on Christian principles. What will you do in such a time as this? Will you go on never never praying, never doing anything, never lifting a finger 
about the millions and millions and millions of murder going on before our eyes in this land. You just go on your own way and wait till Jesus comes soon and be unprepared. Remember, Lot's wife. Today, God still sends you his servants. Please don't refuse to hear the word of God. To truly hear, you know. You know what it means. It means to hear with spiritual ears. It means to bend the, bend the knee. It means to repent. It means to surrender. It means to lose your life. To lose your own righteousness, that is. Jesus puts it this way. Verse 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. This is the wonder of the gospel. When we surrender to Jesus, we lose our life. We even expect to perish. We're sinners. We cast ourselves at his feet. And he saves us. When we lose our lives, lose our righteousness, we get saved. And then we become prayer warriors for the church, for the nation, for our families, for our own poor, needy soul. And that's what this nation needs. Not one or five of us or ten of us, all of us. The whole nation needs desperately repentance and reformation and faith and revival. Spirit-worked revival, beginning in the lives of God's own children and spilling over by the Spirit's application to the unsaved and going from place to place to place to place to place, proclaiming, living, exemplifying the name of our God, the gospel of our God. That's exactly what happened in the days of the Reformation. That's exactly what happened in the days of the Great Awakening. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, the glory of God alone. That's what we need to get back to. Not grace plus works, not Scripture plus tradition, not Christ plus the Pope, not the glory of God plus the glory of man. You see, Rome says all these things we need, Scripture, faith, grace, Christ, and the glory of God, but not alone. You've got to add man-made things to them. And that's the destruction of the church. We need the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. We need to find it our very life. We need to exemplify it. We need to proclaim it. We need to live it. Remember Lot's wife. If we don't repent and we don't believe the gospel with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we don't stand up for the cause of God, if we're not active in prayer, if we're not writing our political leaders about the immoralities, some of which I mentioned tonight, if we're not active in our local neighborhoods in, among those with whom we meet, if we don't open our mouths in prayer to God and open our mouths to other people about the truth of God in love for their soul, if we're not examples in prayer, in walk, in talk, before the watching world, we are part of the problem and not part of the solution. America today is starving, starving for true heroes of the faith, like the Reformers were. Starving for people to get down on their knees and cry out, Oh God, Thou hast done it in ages past. Do it again. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of wrath, remember mercy. Help us, Lord. Help us to remember Lot's wife. Dear church family, we are a needy people. The world is empty. The world is empty. Don't turn to the world. Turn to the living God. You will only find peace. You will only find joy. You will only find purpose in God through His Son. Without God, without Jesus, without the Spirit, you'll just deceive your own soul in the end. You'll just destroy yourself. Ask God to become too strong for you. 
Ask Him to show you the guilt of your inability, the guilt of your unwillingness. Don't look back on the Sodom of this world. Say, farewell world. It is empty. It is poor. You will lead me into hell world. It will give you no abiding satisfaction. It's poison. Walk as a godly people, looking to the Lord. Seek the Lord while He is to be found. Call ye upon Him. While he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and turn to the living God, for he will have mercy upon you and he will abundantly pardon. Remember Lot's wife. Amen. Great God of heaven, we bow before thee tonight, burdened with the need of souls with the needs of the nation, but looking to Thee to do for us what we cannot seem to ever do for ourselves. But oh, may we lose our lives at Thy feet, confess our sin, and be found by that seeking Savior who delights to have poor, needy sinners go lost at His feet to save them. Come and use this sermon tonight, Lord, for the well-being of our nation and for the well-being of individual souls destined for that all-decisive eternity. Gather us in, Lord Jesus, those who are unsaved yet among us, before it is too late, before Thou dost come on the clouds at any time, for the days of Noah, And the days of Lot are here, big time. And those are the days in which thou wilt come again. O God, have mercy. Give repentance, reformation, revival, we pray. And do be with our dear church family. Be with all those who are suffering right now from COVID in various degrees, Lord. Have mercy upon them all and grant healing, but also grant us to learn through this pandemic our radical dependency upon Thee and bless it to many souls among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.